Uh, I'm excited. I told you I was going to make you stand up because I, I, I do want you to stand up. Most everyone, not every, if you don't have a cell phone, you can maybe grab a sheet of paper in front of you. There's like a connect card. I want you to grab your phone, and on your phone, there's like a notes thing, something like that. Does everybody have one of those? If you have your cell phone device, your um, mobile phone, as they're called, go ahead and get that. Open up a, a, a notes thing. If not, grab a sheet of paper, and I'm going to ask you to stand up, and we're going to do something, okay? I want you to go around, and I want to see who can do, yeah, you can stand up with me. Go ahead and stand up with me. Let's do it together so no one feels awkward. Okay, everybody together, get your notes thing ready, and here's what I want you to do. I want to see, I'm going to give you 60 seconds, and I want you to go around the room. We're going to be talking about race race and, and ethnicity today, and like where we've all come from, and how God's united us in Christ, and I want you to get as many ethnicities written down that are represented in this room going around. Okay, so I'll just give you one. Everybody, go ahead and get your first one. I'm like Scandinavian history, okay? Ethnicity, Scandinavian. So I want you to go around the room. If you don't know yours, just just don't even put it, <laughs> you know? I don't know. If you, I don't know how to spell it either, so just scan. Go scan. Okay, so ready? I'm going to give you 60 seconds. Do you think you can do this? Who do you think is going to win? All right, you guys ready? Set, go. You got 60 seconds. Go around the room. Get as many as you can. All right, now who's got the most on your list? Count them up and see who's got the most on their list. Nine? Somebody top nine? Ten? Ten? Thirteen? Twenty-one different ethnicities and backgrounds. That's somebody, that's moving. Like That's like three, every three seconds you were finding out a new ethnicity of someone in the room. That's pretty crazy. That's pretty crazy. We're going to start a new series today called Salt and Light. Salt and Light. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about um, how we as the church are called to be salt and light in matters of race, sexuality, and social justice. And today we're going to start that conversation on race because over the past few months, past few years, it seems that all of a sudden things that maybe we thought were dead in our culture and society are quite alive and we've realized that there's a lot of conflict, and it's created tension in everyone. It's created tension in minorities and stress in minorities. It's created tension in um, every average citizen. It's created tension on our governments to figure out solution. It's put tension on our police departments that they struggled to manage the conflicts that have happened around our our country, and it's not just in our country. One of the things that really helped me understand just the tension and this, the racist problems that have been going on for centuries around the world is that every time I would go to a new continent or a new country, I would learn about a new genocide that I didn't learn as a child when I was in school. I just learned about the Holocaust and, and this kind of hatred of Jews and, and killing Jews. But when I went to Australia, I learned about the Aborigines that up until like the 1950s, they were murdered and they weren't even considered humans. And then I go to Cambodia and I learned about the Khmer Rouge and there's this whole other genocide that happened and it was like up to like the 70s and things that were so much more recent and like this intense genocide that's happened across the globe. And it's important that we as believers understand the dynamic of what and the power of what the scriptures speak to us so that we can go out and truly be salt and light in the world. Because these tensions that are going on, we have a voice. And we have a, 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 a place to play in our world. Uh, and I want to talk about that. Everything we're going to do over the next three weeks is really going to kind of build off of the foundation of Matthew 5, 13 and 14. Um, which Jesus said, you are the salt 
of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. He goes on to say that you are the light of the world. This is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry and his like first big sermon on the mount. And he's preaching to people. He didn't have like a ton of um, like followers outside of his disciples at this time. So he's speaking to a very broad audience and he's telling people inside us as humans is the salt of the earth and the light of the world uh, and that we're to be carrying this out. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Once the toothpaste comes out, <laughs> it's hard to put it back in the tube. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Jesus quotes a common Jewish cliche here. It, salt's good for nothing. Just it, After it's done, you just toss it out. It's good for nothing. You are the light of the world, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. I'm so glad you hit that last song. Shout it from the mountains that all will know that you're God. That we, that's a perfect song for this, this uh, background of what we're, we're uh, talking about today. You are the salt of the earth. What, what is he talking about when he's talking about salt? Well, he's referring to really the, the truth and grace of God. But in, in the actual kind of metaphor of what he's using uh, about salt um, he, he's really talking about the savory quality. Last night we were sitting around the table and uh, we had green beans on our plate for dinner. And of course, with kids and green vegetables, they, they, they just struggle. And so our, our son Beckett says, Mom, I don't want to eat the green beans. And uh, we're like, Bud, you, you got to eat some. And, I'm, and I say, let's put some salt on it and I bet you'll love it even more. Well, as soon as I went and put that salt on there, he, just the right amount, he went in, dug in, he said, man, that is so much better. You see, salt, it was just last night that that happened. When salt is added into the earth and God's plan for us to be scattered all over the world, making a difference, that our conversations are savory and they make life better. There's also a, a preservation quality that Jesus is speaking to in regards to truth and justice and grace here that we are to be preserving the truth. And he goes on to say, but if the salt loses its saltiness, again, the salt is, is not just the truth. The salt is us. You, you are the salt of the earth. The truth and, and grace are, are not going to cease to be truth and grace, but what can happen is, is we, as his sons and daughters, as his hands and feet, we can veer from the truth. We can veer from the practice of that truth in good deeds and in grace. So it's we that lose our saltiness. We push away. And, and I find in our culture, like too many of us are indifferent when it comes to matters of race. Too many of us are indifferent in matters that Jesus has called us to, to, to slide up to the table. We push away and we'd rather just be comfortable in fear of what the conflict might look like. And so I want to, I don't know that I have all the answers on this today. In fact, I can assure you I don't. Um, but what I do, I want to give you four guiding principles as we talk through the scripture. And before we get to those guiding questions that I think will be questions that lead us through this process, I, I really want to begin in Genesis and kind of give you a little background on race. Because I think once we understand the history of kind of where this came from, then we'll understand kind of where we're supposed to be leading things. Begins really in, with Adam and Eve, right? God creates man in his image. We get to chapter three and there's the fall of man. Things get progressively worse in chapter 4. All of a sudden, everything's beautiful in the garden, the fall, and then the next chapter, a brother is killing his brother. Like things have gotten out of control really quickly in the, with the fall. And so sin just gets really rampant, and God in his judgment slash grace floods the earth. And then we get, to, and that's where we know about Noah. Noah gathered his family and trusted God in this 
way in which we can kind of struggle to understand how he trusted God in this way when it hadn't rained in forever. He builds this ark, and God makes this covenant with Noah, and he gives him this command. It's important we see this right here before we move on. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Be the salts of the earth. Fill the earth. There is something, God, in this command that God initially, we're going to go to, and we're going to flip over two chapters, and we're going to see the Tower of Babel, the confusion of language, and the scattering apart in the earth. But understand this first God's initial heart was diversity. God's heart was for them to fill the earth, and there would be this natural culture that would happen when they filled the earth, that there would just be different cultures and societies that would happen all over, and in their diversity and in their unity under his lordship, they would be a reflection of his character, diversity in unity. And so, unfortunately, Noah and his sons don't obey, they'd rather stay comfortable. So flip over two chapters and we see what's going on in um, Genesis chapter 11. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Really, the the understanding of the Hebrew text is restraint. They'll be wide open. Their attention will be on other things. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. Just leave it right there, and, and let's talk through this. Because for, for many of you that have ever heard this, this matter has not been like fully taught through and really understood the incredible beauty of what God is doing in this. So first it begins, God gives a command to Noah and his kids, and, and Noah, they don't, they don't do it. Why do they not do it? They don't do it because of fear. Let's, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's build this tower so that we won't be scattered out. They stay, they'd rather stay comfortable. But God's not willing for them to be comfortable because when we're comfortable and when we stay in that place and we walk in disobedience, we don't, receive, we don't walk in his plan. We, we miss out on the beauty of his plan that's going here. That's why he wants to come down and confuse, that's why he comes down and confuses their language. Because what happens is when we're in fear, we end up acting in disobedience and we kind of, cover that over with selfish motives, right? We do this all the time. We, we disobey God deliberately in our actions because of fear of what that might cost us or what they'll say about me or what they'll do, and then we justify those things with selfish motives, right? God told you to do a certain thing, and you're like, yeah, 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 I'll do, instead of doing that, I'll do this, and we kind of justify it with, with selfishness. I'd rather do this, and we don't walk in obedience to what God, and that's what they're doing. Let's build a tower. Let's make a name for ourselves. It's selfish. They'd rather stay comfortable, but God's plan was to fill the earth. And then from there, there'd be this natural um, ethnic makeup that takes place. Think about it like this. Um, think about it, it. There was more people than just a couple at, at this point, but think if it was kind of going two by two, just in the theme of Noah. 
that, that two people would have obeyed and, and went to the north, and two people would have obeyed and went to the south, man and woman. And then to the south and to the east and to the west, with them would move their genetic markers, with their natural skin tones. And slowly, over time, there would be a culture that existed there based off of their kind of genetic makeup. When God was confusing their language, it, it wasn't a, about them not achieving like this great impossible task. It was about their attention being moved from the right things in God's plan, that he has plans for them, to things that were selfishly motivated, and they would miss out on what God had planned for them. So many times when we think about race, when we think about ethnicity, we think of red and yellow, black and white. We think of God going to the crayon box and grabbing different colors to color us down. But anybody that knows science in the room knows that we've actually all been colored by the exact same color. God doesn't go into a different color. We've all been colored by melanin, which is a, a, pig, a skin pigment. It's all the exact same color. It's just many different shades of the exact same color. There's, there's this unity in the midst of our very color that we often forget because we, we just look at kind of the visual. I, I loved a few years ago when Beckett was just probably two and a half, three years old, and we were in this parking lot and just had begin to have this conversation uh, with this great uh, African-American family, and um, Beckett's like little blonde hair and, and this little black boy with his sweet little fro walks up, and they're like both three, and they just begin to have this conversation, and they're just kind of hitting it off, and they're buddies, and he walked away, he's like, they, they both kind of walked away, and we're both saying, he's just like me, like he was saying he's my same age, and like we, we get along. They didn't really see that, but somehow within our culture, like we've began to see through all these racial biases, um, and if it's not racial, it's economic, and if it's not economic, it's something else. You fill in the blank. And so the real beauty of this is in understanding that, that God's plan for us has been diversity. And the, our melanin is this, this skin pigment. I mean, I, I went out and got sunburnt the, the other week. So some of it's by UV rays. Like God's created this incredible thing that happens in our skin that when we're in the sun a lot, our skin gets, gets darker. Well, just think about that with all the different climates all over our world. And think about when a child is born and you try to see who they look like. Right? They look like mom, they look like dad. I'm dreaming about what our little girl that's going to be born this week, I'm dreaming about what she's going to look like. You know. <laughs> what did I say this week? Yeah, I'm speaking it in, in Jesus' name. <laughs> Got to do it. Um, we just see this beauty of, of God's fingerprint that we were made in his image. And so just a couple things real quick before we, we dive into these, these guiding questions. One is that... Um, that we're really all of, of one God-given image, that we've all been created in the image of God, every single one of us. Secondly, we really have the exact same skin pigment. The only thing is different is that it's been passed down by different genetic variations, and our, our language um, has evolved and our cultures have evolved as we've spread all over the earth. And then in this room, what did somebody have, 21 of those in this very room that were there. And we all bleed the same color. We all bleed the same color. So l l let's move on. Let's begin to talk about these four guiding questions. Like I said, I don't think I've got all the answers, but I do have four questions. 
and, and lots of scripture today that I believe is going to give us another lens for how we can be salt and how we can be light in our culture today. The first question I, I believe that we ask is, how does God see them? How does God see them? Let's read a couple verses and talk about that. Galatians chapter 3. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's no ethnicity in Christ. Neither slave or free. There's not even male and female in Christ, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you're Adam's seed and heirs according to the promise. Flip over all the way to the end of the book, uh, Revelation chapter 5. This is a, it's a really beautiful thing. A lot of times we get weirded out by Revelation, but this is a powerful thing in John's Revelation here in chapter 5. He went, on, uh, he went and took the scroll from the right hand. Just before this, John is weeping because the scroll is, is not opened, and there's no one that can open the scroll. He went, talking about Christ, went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, singing, you are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. How does God see them is the first guiding question that we ask. How does God, first of all, he doesn't even look at it like that. The scriptures tell us over and over again, when they were looking, Israel was looking for a king, they kept looking for the the people that fit all the physical markers, the person that was strong, that spoke loudly, and and God said, or in the prophet, um, God said to the prophet uh, Nathan, I believe it was, um, that God does not look to the outside. He's looking to the heart. So how does God see this person? He, well, he's looking at the heart. I mean, there's parents in this room that your kids um, have, have run astray in a way that you didn't teach them. Um, there's parents in, in this room that are, are struggling with what um, their teenager is going to do. And even if you're a young adult in this place, at some point, you'll turn in and you'll begin to say the things that you never thought you'd say. I know, like, for both Taryn and my mom... Um, her mom and my mom, they both are like all about equality, like when it comes to like Christmas. So like the gifts have to be the same size and the same amount. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? I got a mom like that. Got to be the same. Even at the table, like, all right, no pizza went here. Everybody's got the right equal amount of pizza. Anybody got a mom like that? Everything's got to be equal. They, they just want each of their children to be taken care of. How does God see them? God God's going to take care of each, he wants to take care of each other, one of his kids. Parents, you're not supposed to have like a favorite kid. <laughs> Maybe you do, you're just not supposed to talk about it. Um, uh, God doesn't have a favorite kid. He loves each and every one of us more than what we can ever think or imagine. He, he loves us deeply, every, regardless of how our, our skin has been pigmented and regardless of what DNA pool we've come from. He loves us, and he loves us deeply. And so the question that we have to ask following that really is, okay, how does God see them? Well, how do I begin to see them as God sees them? And I really believe it, it's, it's by just understanding um, honest compassion, and honest compassion really comes from two things, I believe. 
I think you've got the slide for it here. Honest compassion comes from two things. One is a genuine personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And not just a genuine relationship, but a transformative relationship. Not just religion where I come in and I play the games and I say the right words, but the right words begin to come out because I've been with Jesus and I've been changed by being with Jesus. That's a transformative relationship. And, and, and if you've been walking with God, let me just throw that and not to be offensive, but if you've been walking with God and God has not been transforming you, I just want to encourage you to lean in because he has sought after you and he is ever-present and he is ever-willing to draw you deeper and deeper into relationship with him. So I just want to encourage you to kind of open your mind and just let him do a new work in you in this season. And I know that he, he'll blow your mind in that. So a transformative relationship with Jesus, for me, what really began to impact that is that the longer I was walking with God, the more I got a, a, a picture of his beauty and his holiness and how perfect he was in his wisdom and in his actions through Jesus and in all of creation, the more I realized how sinful I was. The, the, the less I got unnerved by someone who lied to me because I realized I was a, the worst liar of them all for a long time. I get a little less offended by that because I know that's God's kid and they're just running from something. They're just hiding hurt and pain, right? So I get a little less because I know about my own sin. I've had a deeper understanding of my depth of a need for a savior. That changes how I, I view people. I'm not viewing them as I'd, I have honest compassion and that comes from a transformative relationship with Jesus and a greater understanding of my sin and my need for a savior, and so walk in that truth, walk in that transformative relationship and watch, watch biases and, and watch um, perceptions we've had fall down in Jesus' name. So the second question, and not only does, how, does God see them, um, uh, but secondly, um, what am I blind to? What am I blind to? Let's read this text here in 1 John. What am I blind to is the next point. Uh, 1 John chapter 2 Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. This is really talking about believers, one another, brothers and sisters. If we hate another brother and sister, then we're in the darkness. I love how um, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says that you are the light of the world. But flip over to John chapter 8, verse 12, and Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in the darkness, but they'll walk in the light. That when we walk with God, when we're following him, in that transformative relationship, that the shadow areas of our life, you ever had a certain perception of yourself? right? And then someone eventually messes that up. Like, you thought you were a really good communicator, and then someone says, bro, I don't understand you. You mumble. That, that, that was one for me. Like, for the longest time, people kept telling me I mumble, and I'm like, I don't mumble. I don't ever mumble. I'm, like, very well-spoken, right? And they kept telling me, no, you mumble a lot, and I can't understand what you're saying. And that kind of messed up my, per you guys are laughing because you know it's true. Like, I'm a mumble. I'm a mumbler, mumbler. Sorry, I was trying to mumble. Um, I had this perception of myself, and, and I realized that there's shadow areas in my life that I didn't realize were there. 
Until I get closer and closer to God, he shines light on those things. And that's what I think enables that. And the truth of the matter is that we live in a culture and an age where racial bias is present. And it's not just majority to minority. It's minority to minority. It's minority to majority. It's all across the board. There's racial biases. And there's a test that I would love for you to take. You do it online. Harvard put it out many years ago. It's called the Harvard Implicit Bias Test. And there's lots of different opportunities to do this, but it's very quick, split-second decisions, and what it does, it actually reveals kind of where you're at in this racial bias thing. Um, so you can look it up, Harvard Implicit um, Bias Test. To, to find out, God, what are, maybe is there a shadow area? Is there a shadow area that maybe I'm, I'm, I'm biased towards? Um, and and I, don't, I necessarily don't think that just because maybe you've grown up in a certain environment and you have a certain bias towards something, I don't know that that's necessarily a sin in itself. I think the greatest, it, maybe it is a sin in itself, I think the greatest sin is not allowing God to transform it once we realize we've got bias. Not allowing God to take off those blinders, to shine the light on it, and then make tangible action from there because he wants to do it. Because what racial bias does, what that text tells us, is one, it keeps us from connecting with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and the truth of the matter is that racial bias and racism are on a large spectrum, right? There's like the, the really extreme racist, and then there's this long spectrum until we, we move past bias, and then we move to favoritism. Well, I'm not biased, I'm just, I, I have kind of favoritism towards other people, which our next verse will read. We'll speak to that. But racial bias, it breaks down and we lose our connectivity with other believers of different ethnicity. We miss out on that. Secondly, I think it holds us back from ministering to people of different ethnicities uh, and different people in the community that maybe don't look like us or maybe we might be biased towards. And then thirdly, it really reveals any bias that's there. It reveals that we're still in the darkness on some things. It, It reveals that God needs to shine some light on some things that, that that person was created in his image. And so it goes back to the first question, how does God see them? Breaking through these, what am I blind to? So these are guiding questions to ask yourself so that we can be salt and we can be light. It's real hard to, to be the light if you're still in the darkness, some areas. But John 8, 12, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me, there is no darkness. You're walking in light. And so to be that people of light, we've got to realize that there's probably some things we're blind to. And maybe it's not on the racial front. Maybe it's on the economic front. Maybe it's on a people of, of certain professions or um, uh, certain looks or styles or whatever. Um, there's a lot of them there. Um, so l- let's continue. What am I blind to? The third one, who needs mercy? Who needs mercy? Let's read this text. My first sermon, I actually took a couple of preaching classes in college, and my first sermon I ever preached in this class was out of this text. And I had to preach an expository sermon um, in 13 minutes, maximum 13 minutes. And let me just tell you, that's super hard to do, but I had to preach this text in 13 minutes. I'm not going to preach the whole message at all, actually. Um, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, this is from James 2, must not show favoritism Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a, a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges 
with evil thoughts? Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Skip on down to verses 12 and 13 that says this. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged. Don't just grab by the law, by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who's not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Everyone in this room has realized that we're not the ultimate judge. We live in a society in which each man gets to be his own judge. You can't judge me. Don't judge me about this. Don't we live in that kind of culture where everybody's allowed to believe and do what they want? But in this room, I'm assuming just as a believer in an authoritative God who is the truth and is love and all of justice and love wrap themselves around his character, not our own personal definitions because that's a slippery slope. Won't go into that. In this age, when we see, we don't even have to read an article. We don't even have to see a video clip about what actually happened in a scenario. We can see 140 characters of a headline or a Twitter and rush to judgment. We can drive by someone or walk by someone and we rush to judgment. We make assumptions based off of history or bias or both, and we rush to judgment. But read this, read this text again. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. That they're actually, not the, not the old covenant, but in the new covenant with Jesus. The old covenant just led us to Jesus and, and led us to understand our deep need for Jesus that be fulfilled in him, that somehow the law of love, what's the greatest commandment to love, you, to love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength? And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophet hangs on this. That law, that, that gives freedom. That, that's a law that gives freedom. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And maybe there's some situations, maybe there's some people, maybe it's you're just tired of forgiving that person or, or, or maybe every time you look at a headline, you just rush to judgment on a certain topic. And, and you don't take that for actually what it is and how it actually affects you, probably not at all. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Well, judgment. well what is mercy? Let's talk about what mercy is so we can answer the question, who needs mercy? I think you've got it up there. Mercy is the, it's kind and compassionate and forgiving treatment of others that works to relieve distress. This is mercy. Mercy is kind, compassionate, and forgiving treatment of others that works to relieve distress. So now let's ask our question, who needs mercy? Who's in distress right now? Who needs kind and compassionate that we can be salt, a savory conversation with them? We can be a, a preserving quality of them. We can shine light through the darkness that they're walking in. And we can relieve that distress. Who needs mercy? Here's a breakdown of what mercy is. Go to the next slide. Mercy resists the temptation to favoritism. Mercy is committed to persevere in hardship. Mercy rejects a personal happiness agenda. Mercy lives with a commitment to forgive. I love that one. Mercy lives with a commitment to forgive. Mercy overlooks minor 
offenses, husbands and wives. Mercy overlooks minor offenses. Mercy does not compromise what is morally right and true. We need to hear that too. Extending mercy, extending the grace and truth, we can't afford to lose our saltiness. It doesn't compromise what's morally right and true. Mercy reveals the treasures of your heart. How, how well, how, how good are we doing at being an extension of God's truth and his grace and his love and of his mercy? Mercy triumphs over judgment. And maybe it's, um, maybe it's an ex that you're having trouble extending the mercy to. Maybe it's a husband or wife in your house that you're just sick of forgiving for the same minor offenses or maybe even the big ones. Maybe it's a neighbor who their tree has fallen <laughs> and messed up your fence and it's just really tough to see them anymore. Um, maybe it's a coworker that you're just sick of persevering in hardship with them. Mercy will continue to go on. It's that kind, compassionate, forgive, forgiving treatment of someone that needs that, that distress. So now every day we, we begin to ask ourselves, who needs mercy? Maybe they're in your house. Maybe you'll see them on the side of the road. Maybe they'll be your cashier. Maybe you'll be theirs. Who needs, who needs mercy? We begin to see this. We begin to view everything through how God sees people and allow him to shine light on these, these shadow areas of our life and realize that it's only through following him that, that that light gets shined on these things and then we can truly operate as salt and light in the earth in matters of race. And the last question as these guys come up and, and begin to play is what is God asking me to do? These are for just four guiding questions. I, I told you I don't have all the answers, but here's four questions for you. How does God see them? What am I blind to? Who needs mercy? And what is God asking me to do? Uh, I want to go, go back to one text before we go to that, because it's too good not to go to. Um, beautiful. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. Because the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Maybe your rope is ended on showing mercy, on showing compassion. His compassions never fail. And he shows that compassion to us. And if, if he can show it to us, then we can extend that. Great is his faithfulness. Um, now let's, let's wrap up. Fourth thing, what is God asking me to do? What is God asking me to do? I want to just give you four thoughts about what God might be asking you to do in your life. First is examine your heart. Just examine your heart. Talk to the Lord. Psalm 139 says it really beautiful. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test my thoughts. Can you throw that up, Mike? Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Search my thoughts. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So examine your heart. Secondly, lean in, don't bail. Lean in, don't bail. Most time when conflict's there, when someone's hurting, we'd rather just be comfortable. Kind of fear, kind of like the, the people 
They're building their tower. They'd rather just be comfortable when God told them to spread out. That you're going to be unified and diverse and be a reflection of my character. Lean in, don't bail. Pull up to the conversation. Be willing to speak up. And even when it's uncomfortable for a couple of minutes, as you, as you wade through their distress, as you wade through their anger about their struggle, be ready to, to show mercy. Be ready to show that compassion and that kindness. So examine your heart, lean in, don't bail. Be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. In all this, like when we're quick to judgment, we're quick to say we have the answers. Not bragging, but, but just say, come, come to this table and just say, I, I, I just want to listen. I don't have all the answers, I just want to listen. I want to hear what you're going through. I don't have all the answers, but I'm, I'm here to listen. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get defensive because I see them as God sees them. Let God work through all that other stuff. Be quick to listen. And then lastly, just begin to enjoy friendships across racial lines. Begin to enjoy friendships across racial lines. I was really shaped in, uh, just throughout my life in my home, my parents, I never heard my parents speak down about anyone, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their economic class. I never heard my mom or dad speak down about anybody. I didn't. I genuinely didn't. That shaped me. It shaped me being a, a short white boy that played on all my basketball teams, and I was the only white boy. It shaped me. <laughs> It shaped me moving to going to all these different countries where I understood all of a sudden, not in living in it on a daily basis, but for weeks at a time, I'd understand, man, it's, it's really difficult. People look at me like I'm a weirdo. I had to walk through that and feel that. It shaped me being in college and living with a person of African descent and a person that was an African American, a person that was Asian, a person that was Pakistani, a person from the north, the south, the east, the west. Those things shaped me in a way in which I could really enjoy friendships across racial lines. And if we want to be a reflection, if we want to be salt and light in the earth, and, and would that be a reflection of heaven on earth, on earth as it is in heaven? then we've got to begin to enjoy friendships across racial lines. It's a reflection of heaven. Because heaven's going to be diverse. In fact, God won't, we won't even see those things. We won't, God doesn't even see those things. We won't even be living in that. We'll be thinking in a whole other realm. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know kind of, this is not like a get everybody fired up kind of message. Or, but I know that at, at different levels, all of us are having to deal with, with this struggle. And, and we felt it in, in our society for the past years and months and, and our whole lives. And God's given us a voice in this. So lean in. Let God make a difference. Let God shine light on the areas of bias in our life and know that we can be that salt and we can be that light. I want to end with, go back to Matthew chapter 5, verses 14, 15, or 15 and 16, just the next two verses. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world, a city on a hill. No one puts a, a light and puts it under a bowl. And so, 
I want to ask you to stand, and I'm going to pray with us today. And if you can agree with this prayer, I'm just going to pray a prayer of unity. I'm going to pray a prayer that we might be that light, that people might see our good deeds, that God might, people might see the friendships of the people in this church and how rich and diverse those friendships are and how real they are, that it might be a reflection and glorify our Father in heaven. Let's pray together today. God, I thank you for your perfect plan. I thank you that every single one of us have been made in your image. And God, sin creates this barrier, this, this lens of sin in which we don't see perfectly as you do, God. And we don't walk in perfect light and perfect freedom all the time. God, we, but we pray, God, as you called us the light of the world, we pray that we could live up to that by understanding that the light comes from you. The truth comes from you. Grace comes from you. Mercy comes from you. Your compassions never fail. Your love is perfect. Your love never fails. God, and I just pray that that would just burn within us. God, I pray that there would be a deep, deep love and passion and compassion for racial diversity in this community. God, that we would be a people that reflect heaven and see the absolute beauty, God, in how you've woven us and fashioned us together to be diverse and to be unified, to be a reflection of you. God, all across this room, there's a great, huge spectrum of where we're at in this process. But God, perfect us, refine in us a pure heart. God, search us, know us, know those anxious, know those wrong thoughts. God, help us to, to walk in the freedom. God, help us to see people as you see them. That's our prayer today. In Christ's name, amen.